Hello and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. We are pleased to bring to you the guest speaker talks from the 2019 East End Conference held in the Astronomer Pub in Middlesex Street in the East End of London on the 5th and 6th of October 2019. The second speaker at this year's conference is John Haller. John is a Welsh historian and genealogist whose research into Irish immigration, ironworks and Carmarthen history informs the subject of his talk on the origins of Mary Kelly, entitled Will the Real Carmarthen, Carnarvon, Carmarthen? Our next talk um, is from John Haller, who sits in front of me. John is a former member of the British Army Intelligence Corps and born near to, and still living close to, Coomarvin. This is so difficult. (laughs) (laughs) He is a local historian and genealogist, giving talks on various subjects such as the Whitechapel murders. Currently a Torvine, not bad, county borough councillor and former chairman of Pontypool, or mayor of Pontypool. Um, John will be talking to us today about Mary Kelly. It's a what-if talk, I've been told, and it will be the first com- uh, talk ever at an East End conference delivered entirely in Welsh. <laughs> so John, John, the, the, well, John's listening anyway, that's a good thing. So my you can have a round of applause. No pressure. Um, so can I please introduce John Haller? This is non-alcoholic. And now that I've said that in public, I will never be allowed back into Wales. (laughs) Um, Basically, going back uh, in the annals of time, you will see that Carmarthen and Carnarvon are, are, through the Barnett uh, interviews, accepted as probably where... Mary Jane Kelly, if she was telling the truth to Barnett, as he relayed it, came from. Uh, my theory, and there are a few other people who were, uh, think the same thing, think that it may be Comavan. If you're a Cockney listening to someone speaking in Welsh, and you're hearing Comavan, 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 <laughs> you're not going to be able to tell it back when you relate it. I mean, it's just, it could be any one of the three. I'll give you a clue, it's Coomarvon. <laughs> <laughs> and here I go. Um, this is from a book published in 1876 and entitled Franciscan Missions Among the Colliers and Iron Workers of Monmouthshire. I don't think it was a bestseller. <laughs> and this is a description of the Irish people living in and around Pontypool and therefore Coomarvon in the year 1860. When I say Coomarvon, you have Pontypool, Vartig, Garntiffirth, Pontnewenith, all hard to pronounce, all hard to say. They are with all within walking distance of Comavan. So if I say any place, I live there, I know, you can walk there. People would have walked to these places for work. They would have walked there uh, for every part of their life. All these places are contiguous, they're all, all joined together. Any single place name I mention is basically within Comavan's district. And this is from the book. Scattered here and there over the hills and huddled together in the meanest, dirtiest corners of a mean and dirty-looking town, the Irish were everywhere regarded as the off-scouring of the people. 
the most degraded where all were low enough, the most drunken of the drunkards, the filthiest where all were dirty. They were employed in the hardest and worst paid work and subjected to every species of annoyance and insult on account of their faith. Dim and flickering as its light had become in their poor worn out heart and Irish light, they acted up thoroughly to the character imputed to them. This next little bit is written by someone called Mary Peterson, who was a Catholic, a Catholic convert from Oxford, middle class. And her first impressions of Pontypool when she arrived to work with the Franciscan missions in 1860, this was what she said. At a little distance, it looked picturesque enough, with houses and cottages flung here and there on the side of the hills, clustering together in the valleys. But to traverse its streets was another matter, narrow, roughly and imperfectly paved, and filthy. The houses badly built and some in ruins. Dwellings and inmates alike coated over with grime and grease. It looked like a slice from the worst slums of London, cut out and planted down there amongst the hills and valleys. Now, people seem to have this kind of chocolate box image of uh, the South Wales area with green fields, and as you will see from my photos, it's nothing like that in these, these days and times. Someone like Mary Jane Kelly, moving from Comavon to Whitechapel, it's exactly the same. Everything's the same. And I will go on to show you that. We all know why the Irish came uh, to Wales and all over to America, everywhere. 25% um, of the Irish population uh, in the 1840s and 50s either moved from Ireland or died uh, the estimates are uh, a million died and a million moved. Vast amounts of people. As you can see, this is Moveen village in Ireland. There's nothing left of it. It's just completely gone. And it, it's, it's all to do with a potato famine. There's uh, a starving boy and girl searching for potatoes. They, it's said that 50% of the population depended entirely on potatoes uh, and to lose the crop. There was nowhere else to go. They had to go somewhere. And Mary Kelly went to Comavon. The, the streets of our town present an alarming and lamentable appearance, it said in an article from the Monmouthshire Merlin in 1847. Being literally crowded with famishing and half-naked strangers from the most distressed parts of Ireland, several shiploads of whom, amounting to many hundreds, have been induced by specious promises of work and good wages in this neighbourhood to pay their passage to Newport, or the more destitute of whom have been huddled together in the holds of coal vessels for this country at the expense of local committees to lessen the number of famishing creatures at home. The Irish were used as ballast. Ballast. <coughs> we took coal from Wales over to Ireland, and when the ships returned, they returned with human beings. Just absolutely dreadful. It goes on to say, We have been informed that handbills setting forth the temptations of constant work with half a crown a day on our railways or as labourers about our ironworks are industrially circulated through several parts of the south of Ireland. 
Hence it is that hosts of squalid beings are induced to embark on board filthy hulks, totally unsuited for living freight, the miseries of whom, densely stowed upon damp ballast, suffering from famine and sickness during this tempestuous season, are almost beyond human expression. Cast as most of them have been brutally on our shores, emaciated and in many cases diseased, they find the hope of employment and empty vision, and thus add to the multitude of their unfortunate country people whom they find crying from hunger from door to door. There are many reports uh, in uh, the wonderfully named newspaper that's still local to me running, uh, the Free Press of Monmouthshire, incorporating the Herald of the Hills. <laughs> and throughout it, there, there's no end of stories of Irish. Just they, they, They're being brought over and thrown onto the mudflats of, of the River Ask, naked, emaciated, and in some cases dying. It's, it's just a dreadful, dreadful situation. And that's in, that's in Newport. Um, Newport has a docks. It would take about 20 minutes to get from Newport to Coomarvon. Uh, many of the Irish uh, found their way further up the valleys. It said uh, also in Newport, from the 1st to the 16th of January, temporary relief, food and lodging was given to 369 men, 360 women and 402 children. Over a thousand Irish people in Newport in those 16 days. The Wanderer, a 90-ton schooner, so just a little uh, boat, for example, docked in Newport, and the ballast in the hold was 26 men, women and children. <coughs> Two children died shortly after being removed from the schooner, and soon the number of deaths increased and another five died a short while later. 32-year-old Elizabeth Barry and her two children both perished. The inquest result? Death from natural causes. <laughs> Is it possible to say how many of these Irish were well enough to make their way to Pontypool, Abersuchan and Carmarthen? The 1851 census shows quite a number of Irish lodgers as travelling, uh, open inverted commas, begging, close inverted commas. Also the bane of my own life has been that just about every census gives their place of birth as Ireland. That's all it says. October the 4th, in 1856, a number of Irish children in Pontypool Magistrates Court included a Jeremiah and Carol <coughs> McCarthy trespassing in Pontypool Ironworks and stealing coal. It says the children are cared for by none and they are from the troublesome Irish class. A five shilling fine or seven days in prison for children. Carol McCarthy was in prison four times subsequently, including the offensive. <coughs> stealing turnips. The court said that these children were sent out to steal. We have an Ellen McCarthy charged with vagrancy in Pontypool Town Court, committed for a month. Thomas McCarthy, a vagrant charged with begging, discharged as long as he promised to leave the area. John McCarthy, drunk and fighting on Boxing Day, fined and ten shillings in ten days in, in prison. Abersuchan, which is a little village that uh, is literally a two-minute walk from Carmarthen. This is a report of the Irish there. It is acknowledged by all that the filthiest and consequently the most unhealthy spot in the district is Naylor's Row, 
A range of houses occupied principally by Irish. And yet, strange to say, these people are so wedded to their filth that they strenuously oppose all attempts to remove existing nuisances and do all they can to annoy their neighbours. The magistrates remarked that there had been more deaths of parents from fever caused by the filth of this place than any other in the district. This was an incredibly poor area at the time. And the Welsh looked down on the Irish, it was that bad. The Welsh and the English hated the Irish. The Welsh supported the English. You never won't see that today on the rugby. <laughs> Those days are long gone. In 1866, a 40-year-old Irish labourer named Michael McCadden died of cholera in Pontypool. His nine-year-old daughter, Catherine, died of typhoid the same day. When the police called to check the condition of the bodies, they had been left where they had died, as a widow and the friends were too drunk to care for the departed. And the remarks, typical Irish. It wasn't all bad. There was a Hibernian society in Abersucken. 200 people attended this annual dinner in 1864. They then marched to the Roman Catholic Church in Pontypool. Now, I've been told that Cumhaven couldn't possibly be the place where Mary Jane Kelly comes from because there aren't enough Irish and there isn't enough work. Not going back to the ships. That is Abersucken Ironworks, uh, just on the outskirts of Cumhaven. Looks like it might hold uh, a few workers there. 3,000, 1,300 of which were Irish. That's Big Pit in Blenavon. I don't know if any of you have heard of it, but it's actually still there. Um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a museum now. If anyone should care to visit that, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. That's within walking distance of Cumhaven. There's 40, 50 pits at this time period within walking distance of Cumhaven. There's a, a BBC programme called Coal House that they showed. And they showed people walking uh, to Big Pit to work from places like Comarva, and it was just accepted practice at the time. It said, Blenavon is completely a colony of colliers and iron workers. Now, this is strange, I found in my research. The Welsh worked in the collieries. The Irish tended to work in the ironworks and the forges. <coughs> when I read up on it, it said it's because, in my research, I found out the Welsh didn't trust the Irish. When you were working below ground, you needed to have people, the deaths and fatalities were absolutely phenomenal, and you needed to have people by the side of you you trusted. And that's why the Welsh stuck to the Welsh, the Irish worked in the ironworks. The Irish were un untrusted because they were undercutting the cost of the Welsh workers. Uh, they were seen as uh, blacklegs and scabs, and um, already poor Welsh workers were, were having to drop their wages. In fact, it, it, this is a, a song that was greeted to Irish workers. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> <laughs> You're very, 
very safe on that score. Not all Welsh can sing, I'm testing them to that. <laughs> but these are the words. <coughs> oh, bury deep the Irish, nine feet in the muck, and heap upon them freely with a mandrel and a pick, and heap upon them rocks and stones, and those sealed hard and good, for fear the devils rise again to worry those they could. That was sung to the Irish workers when they turned up. The original term blackleg, which you might have heard from uh, trade unionists, blackleg, was used against the Irish. Uh, most of the people working uh, in the pits were actually, uh, came from the Somerset coal mines. Most of the people in South Wales have English roots. The Welsh that stayed there sided with the English, always. 93% of the Irish that were staying in lodging houses stayed with other Irish. That's how close-knit they were. It was said that the Irish in the, in the valleys had large families. That's unfounded. They didn't have large families. They just all stayed 15 or 16 in one small house. This is a, a lovely little find, I think. This shows how... Uh, how much trouble and friction there was between the Welsh and the Irish. A false alarm during the past week, the inhabitants of the village, Abersucken, have been considerably alarmed by a report industrially circulated to the effect that on pay Saturday, the 7th, the Irish workmen will rise on Fenian Thought's intent and drive out the English and Welsh en masse. Although the idea seemed very far-fetched, it obtained very many believers, who, knowing the large number of Irish working about the district and the usual beery effects of pay nights, readily concluded that a row would take place, and the Celts, inflamed with drink, would not hesitate to institute club law and spend their hatred of the Welsh. Bear in mind, this is a Welsh newspaper calling the Irish Celts. <laughs> oh. All went quietly on in the early part of the night, the only unusual sign being the absence of people in the village. Naturally thronged and almost impassable normally on pay nights, but about 12 to the alarm of many households, the hooter or large steam whistle at the ironworks began to sound fiercely. Out of their beds sprang many anxious fathers, and seizing the first available weapon, stood at their doors in their night clothing, prepared to do stern battle for hearths and homes. It proved, however, to be a false alarm, and was believed the work of a practical joker. With the exception, quiet reigned, and the great Fenian war of Abersucken proved to be a thing of imagination. Now, Abersucken uh, is a place where all the pubs were, so if anyone lived in Comarvan, they um, undoubtedly went to uh, Abersucken. It's... As I said, it's been said that the number of Irish in uh, the Pontypool district wouldn't have been enough. It says here that uh, 
1868, the Star of Gwent newspaper noted that the fires on the mountain above Trevethin, uh, the parish of Trevethin includes Comavan, were caused by a number of Irish tinkers who have colonised the locality. Um, in 1860, the Bishop of Newport sent one of his fathers to take charge of the mission in Pontypool to propagate the Catholic faith amongst the many poor Irish who lived and worked in the neighbourhood. There had been a Catholic church in Pontypool since 1846. Unfortunately, the Irish in Pontypool were that poor that the arms given to them were not enough to subsist on, let alone support the poor father, Alziar, and he had to set out to beg for himself and the one lay brother who accompanied him. In 1860, a tea party was held in a large room over the butter market in Pontypool to benefit the Catholic school. 550 tickets were sold at a shilling each. Tables extended from one side of the room to the other. As one party finished, others took their place. The people were said to be nearly all Irish. In 1862, the Roman Catholic school in Pontypool was inspected by government and 140 children were present. They were tested for reading, writing and arithmetic and the girls for needlework. The government was sent a favourable report. In Abbasuchan, which lies <coughs> a couple of hundred yards from Comavan, 1,300 Irish people were clustered about the extensive ironworks. There we go. 2,823 people were employed in Abbasuchan Ironworks alone, of which 1,300 were Irish. That's right next to Comavan. You also had the many collieries uh, there. I got quite excited once. I found a Davis dying in Comavan in a mine in exactly the right time frame. What happened was the chain broke. Unfortunately, it was an explosion, and it crashed down and killed all six occupants. That's how they were raised and lowered. My, um, my excitement was short-lived because I found out the Comavan where the Davis Collier died was in Swansea, but never mind. <laughs> in Abbasuchan, you had all this. Like I say, Abbasuchan is Comavan, and the, the two were exactly the same. The Factories Act Extension Bill, boys and girls worked here as soon as they were able to walk. Day and night, amongst the smoke and sulphur, the black coal and iron, the din and whirring unwearied wheels they toiled on with tired limbs and drowsy eyes. They grew up callous and indifferent. Their one idea of earthly happiness being to sleep when they could, eat as much as they could, and get well drunk when they received their wages. There was a, a Catholic father who wrote that. Personally, my own great-grandmother, 12 years old, is on the 1881 census, and she's a wheel greaser in a colliery just above Comavan uh, in the Vartic. My uh, great-grandmother is a Davis, and her brother and her father are all Davis colliers from Comavan. So who knows? I might actually be related. In 1863, they sent more people more uh, Franciscan missionaries to Comavan and they opened a school where if Mary Jane Kelly had been taught she would have been taught in this school 
1863, the thing to do is to go back and have a look at the records, I thought, and have a look and see if I can find a Mary Jane Kelly. Great. The record started in 1897. <laughs> <laughs> Over a thousand Catholic school children had gone through that school by that time. Was Mary Jane Kelly amongst them? Unless I can track down those books, I'll never know. The Education Act of 1870 made school compulsory in Wales. It also made the English language the number one language to be spoken in Wales. This time frame fits nicely with the education of Mary Jane Kelly if the Barnet testimony is correct. It would also suggest that she would at least be bilingual given her schooling was in Wales in Comavan. There were 380 Catholics employed in the furnaces and ironworks in Cumbran. In 1877, the figures for children at the local Catholic school was as follows. Pontypool, 256. Abersuchan, 294. Blenavon, 118. That's just the children. So anyone going to tell me now that there are not enough Irish people in Cumbran and Pontypool district? Or that there's not enough... enough employment. This uh, girls scouring, uh, uh, there were very many, very many strikes going back at this time. South Wales, wow, how militant are they? I say that as a trade unionist myself <laughs> and uh, Unite the Union political officer, by the way. Um, the girls had to go into the tips they would, they would be scouring for what's been left over. Someone stole, one of the girls stole a, a bag of coal to take home because her mother was dying of cold. She got three months in prison. She was 12 years old. Was it because she was Irish she was given that sentence? Who knows? There are many, many reports in local newspapers of fights involving Irish and the Irish and the Welsh. The Irish were blamed as immigrants for pushing wages down and local magistrates in 1867 in Pontypool had even considered reading the Riot Act because of insurrection by the Irish. The Irish were seen as troublemakers with a fondness for using the knife. In fact, when one Irishman stabbed another in Pontypool in 1867, the headline in the local paper the Free Press incorporating the Herald of the Hills, <laughs> just said the knife again. The Welsh saw the Irish use of a knife in a fight as un-British. That was the very words in the newspaper. Was there any prostitution in the area? Well, I know several brothels, not now, not personally. Um, I know of several brothels in the Victorian time period. Uh, my favourite was known as uh, the Old Parrot Inn, also known as the Two Cocks, <laughs> off Malthouse Lane. What a pub that must have been. I've read the reports. Assaults, muggings, pickpockets, supposed murderers of drinkers. The police raided it once and found six people in bed, three fellas and three prostitutes. <laughs> the landlady spent 18 months in prison for that, for running a brothel. Um, she lost all her front teeth in a fight, punched out by one of her uh, clients. 
she applied for a license and tried to rename it from the parrot to the reform tavern. The police said there hasn't been any reform. <laughs> and we don't know what's going on in the famous sawdust room, but uh, no, you're not having another license. And two of the prostitutes who I found that have been arrested were called Fancy Fan, Fanny Griffiths. She was also a bare-knuckle fighter, going back to what Louise said earlier. She could hold her own with any man, and they paid. And the other one was known as Pretty Paul. She was Mary Ann James, 18. Uh, the, the, The names of the prostitutes are very, very similar to the ones used in Whitechapel. I actually have uh, newspaper reports of a Mary Davis um, being arrested in a place called Rosemary Lane. That seems to be her haunt. Whether that's the Mary Davis, there's a lot of Mary Davises in in Carmarthen and Pontypool area. But if we believe the the Tom Cullen interview of, of Dennis Barrett, then this is what Cullen wrote regarding Barrett. I talked to a retired market porter named Dennis Barrett, who was a boy knew Black Mary by sight. She was a handsome woman, Barrett recalled, tall and rather stout. She had a pitch outside the Ten Bells in Commercial Street, and woe to any woman who tried to poach her territory. Such a woman was likely to have her hair pulled out in fistfuls. This rather fits my notion of the Mary Kelly from Carmarthen, going back to the prostitutes I mentioned earlier. A hard woman... From a hard beginning, from Ireland and perhaps to Carmarthen, seeking a move to Cardiff and London, perhaps via France, searching for a decent life, but only ever finding the cruelest of areas in which to spend a brutal short life. I'll end by stealing a quote from the late Chris Thomas and uh, altering it for my own means and in best Ripper plagiarist style. (laughs) <laughs> we may never know if Mary Jane Kelly came from Carnarvon, Carmarthen or Carmarthen or even indeed if she was even Welsh all we can say is that the woman known as Mary Jane Kelly now sleeps at Leighton Tone Cemetery more thought of in death than she ever was in life rest in peace young lady whoever you are I'm actually on the licensing committee of Pontypool now. 150 years after that, I would have sat on those committees. Nothing I do is that interesting anymore. I'm a bit scared. Um, well, firstly, it's nice to see that we're only represented by trade unions today. Yeah. That's pretty good. Two from two. Trevor, no, no pressure there whatsoever. Let's be that was a fascinating talk. Um, does anybody have any questions for all loads, Bill? Right, a couple of uh, comments, actually. Um, the first thing is on turnips. <laughs> it was Stealing turnips was one of 234 offences for which you could be hanged wow. at one point. Yeah. Uh, this was in the uh, 18th, 19th centuries. And the second is, uh, uh, it comes back to um, uh, Rourke's Drift, you remember Rourke's yeah, Drift, yeah. of course. Um, and for many years it was said that the majority of the defenders 
of Rook's Drift were Welsh. But in fact, we now know that they, that they may have actually come from Wales, but the majority of defenders, or not the majority, but more defenders of, of Rook's Drift uh, than were from Wales, uh, originated from Cork and Dublin. It's in the records. Including John Lyons, who uh, fought in the hospital and was from Trevetha and he was an Irishman. Probably, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you very much. Steve. Just a point, based on what you said, is it conceivable the reason Kelly's family disowned her was nothing to do with prostitution is because she married a Welshman? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another thing, another thing I found that I, that I really should have mentioned is the number of people. Uh, the Lanark uh, disaster, for example, which is uh, not far from Carmarthen, they would have worked in, the, in that pit as well. 179 people died on one morning in that pit. Um, when you go through the names of people, so many were using aliases. So was Davis an alias? Well, as well as Kelly. Welsh version yeah, of Smith. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, and, the, and when it says in the Barnet Davis or Davies, it's Davis. It's not, it's not Meredith either, it's Meredith. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Any more questions? Yes, Sue. So. Uh, lovely talk. Thank you very much, John. Enjoyed that very, very much. Just, just as you, you touched on my first question already. Uh, Davis and Davies, did you look at both? Were you prepared for... The spelling is different. The pronunciation in Wales would be exactly the same. There would be no one in Wales would call anyone Davies. No one. Okay. Sure, sure. Um, I've never heard it used in my locale. But my locale is Carmarthen, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and the second point I just wanted to make, really, was that Phil's family come from North Wales, but name like Parry, that's, that's not surprising really. Uh, and we had enormous problems tracing uh, Phil's uh, grandfather um, on, on various records. Uh, and the first records that we did find were actually his military records. He, he, he served in the Boer War and then he served in the First World War. Uh, and yes, he, he, he was well into his 60s before he had Phil's dad by a much younger woman. It gets quite complicated. Um, anyway, when we found his military records, it had his place of birth as Carrig, so C-A-R-R-I-G, uh, and we searched and searched for a Carrig uh, in anywhere in Wales, let alone North Wales, and there isn't one. And the only Carrig we could find was actually in Scotland, and we were very confused by this. Uh, anyway, the, the, the penny finally dropped, and this, this is... Uh, so, you know, when, when, when uh, uh, all the history is, is verbal and it's oral, that in fact he was born in a, a, a village called Kerigi Trudian, and I probably haven't pronounced that correctly. So actually it was Kerig, uh, C-E-R-I-G, hyphen Y, hyphen D-U, I forget, it's Trudian, anyway. Um, and that's the problem, isn't it, with oral history, that you've got one person's account and you've just got to change the that the pronunciation very slightly or somebody hears it a little bit differently and we can just imagine Phil's grandfather in the queue joining up you know where we born some Kerry Judy and uh, Carrie, you know and down and down it goes well coming coming I should have mentioned this in the talk um, coming back to uh, the Jonto uh, link uh, with Kelly and the Scots Guards 
In, on the 1851 census, 15% of the males of the Irish population were either in the army in Newport or they were working for the army. 15%. Where's well, a huge number? Okay, any more questions? Yes. It's more of a sort of a using more than anything. Accents at that time, obviously around this room, because of you know media and what have you. I know that you're South Wales, I can pick up on the fact that you're South Wales and now I'm, I'm black country and, and what have you. Um but how aware do you think people well, it's, it's a difficult question to answer really, but how aware do you think people were in urban areas where there is various people from various other areas of being able to pick up on the fact that uh, Mary Jane Kelly had a possible mixture of a Welsh and an Irish accent or you see where I'm, where I'm coming from on it? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, the, the problem I find with, with that is we don't really know the timelines. We don't know how long she was in Ireland, yeah. how long she was in Wales. Then, as I said, um, it would have been, if the timeline is correct, halfway through her education, it would have changed that she had to be taught in English. How would that affect the accent? It's, it's an unknown quantity. Is that, it, well, I'm trying to look across very well, but what I was trying to think of is the fact that we were talking about this earlier, that um, when you've got the witness statements with regards to Mary Jane Kelly and her past, is that because nobody mentions the fact that she got an accent, is that backing up more the fact that she was telling the truth when she, where she said she came from, or is it undermining it? I think if you look at Neil Sheldon's uh, research, um, with Neil, he's gone and he's, he's looked at, uh, at the statements that were given by people, and it's all checked out. I have no reason to believe that Barnett wasn't telling the truth. Whether Kelly was telling him the truth, that's another matter. But, but I'm 100% I'm certain that Barnett was telling the truth as he perceived it from Kelly. Okay, any more? Kieran? Oh, Yes. So, Sorry, um, Kieran, rank. Should <laughs> <laughs> we bring your bed in, Mark? Uh, so, just to go back to what uh, Sue was saying. So, you've got two uh, kinds of Latin. You've got Q Latin and you've got P Latin. Q Latin goes to Scotland and you get um, patronyms like MacDonald, MacAndrew, whatever. So you've got the sound in there. You've got the P Latin and that goes to Wales and you get at. So, that's the. That's the um, the, the patronymic part is important there. Yeah. So you end up with surnames like Harry, at Harry, mm -hmm. Henry, at, uh, yeah. at Henry, Powell, at Powell. Yeah. There are others, right? Pugh, presumably, at Pugh. What other ones are there? Richard. Richard. My name's Hawler, I'm from Somerset. Yes, no, 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 no. <laughs> at Richard, at Richard, I mean, the, the, the one thing that struck me in my research was just how many McCarthys there were in, in Comarvan, in Pontypool, in Abersucker. And on the, uh, on the 1881 census, there's uh, uh, John Kelly um, working in an iron works 
and he is living in Gibson Square in Pontypool, three doors down from the from McCarthy family. I mean, where this Kelly's is McCarthy's, and that, that yeah. also goes as back as in Miller's Court. As in Miller's Court, and it, and and it, it's really noticeable on the census uh, returns for <laughs> for Kumavan, Vartig, Garnsefirth. Very noticeable. They seem to be intertwined in Whitechapel, as in. Yeah. I recommend if you meet someone whose surname begins with P and you can take the P off and you can generate a sort of reasonably common <coughs> sort of Anglo-Saxon first name, you should inquire about their Welsh heritage. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, just wondered if you had an opinion on um, why there was no family at Mary Kelly's funeral. You said that she used to get letters from home. Yeah, the, the John Kelly on, on the census that I was talking about, he, he interests me. Uh, he's got a, a, a daughter living with him called uh, Johanna, spelled J-O-H-A-N-N-A-H, which seems a, a weird <coughs> uh, spelling of it. There's no mother there, uh, and that's uh, that would fit in with it. And, and he interests me, he works in an ironworks. And then you look at... Um, you go on Ancestry and you, and you track back and you find uh, a workhouse, uh, the City of London workhouse, which I've got no idea where it is because I've asked and I can't find it. And six months after that census is taken, there's a John Kelly and a Johanna, spelled exactly the same, together in, in the City of London workhouse. That interests me and that needs further research. Well, interestingly enough, when I was researching William Berry's. Um mother's uh, background. Uh, she cut, She was one of a, uh, a number of children, male and female, coming from Dudley. Uh, but I later discovered that there was uh, another brother uh, a, 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 who was not mentioned on the census. Being. So people can get missed out of census. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I'd like to go back to the Irish tink tinkers that were living above Cromavon at the time. They were obviously not featuring on any census uh, and and there's loads of little communities like that um, mm. just travelling around they're, yeah. they're missing the census completely yeah. okay. just going back to access um, there, there, there was a statement wasn't there um, that somebody had seen Mary Kelly out of doors and, and basically she pointed in the street and they quoted her as saying that she said she had the horrors of the drink upon her um, and I that sounds a very Irish yeah, expression, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just, if, if the person that's I've forgotten who it was now, but uh, if, if that was an exact quotation, it does sound like a very Irish expression. Yeah. Well, even if, even if she lived most of her life in Wales before she moved to Whitechapel, yeah. as, as you just heard from me, that the Irish were very insular. They lived with it among the Irish, they lived in their own communities, they didn't really... Uh, interact with the Welsh uh, or, or the English to much uh, of an extent and, and they were frowned upon. I mean, uh, the Welsh were paid, uh, as, have you, anyone heard of truck? They didn't pay the Welsh workers in money. <clears throat> the company gave you a chitty to go and buy something at the company <laughs> shop and if you were paying tuppence for it, in the, with money in a shop, you'd be charged fourpence for it. I found instances of that still happening in the 1870s in Cromavon and Avartig and Garntifer. 
even as late as that. And they were blaming that on the Irish. Um, with the Irish undercutting, uh, so that's, you can, uh, I cannot, there was, there was riots in, in Tredegar in, in 1883, anti-Irish riots. I mean, they, right through, the, the newspapers are full of anti-Irish sentiment and anti-Irish feeling. And as I said, the English always sided with the Welsh. The English divide and rule. Yeah, that's, that's how they worked, that's how they've always worked. Yep. So in, in theory, she could still have an Irish speech pattern without necessarily an Irish accent. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. I think children tend to, yeah. to, might, might think children tend to follow the, or develop the accents of their peers rather than their parents. Yes. If they're in school, <coughs> uh, maybe sort of you know, after 1817 the education act. <coughs> we could be looking at someone who was having spending a lot of time in schools, possibly with other children who had Welsh accents. Yeah. I mean, um, the school was called, uh, if I remember rightly, uh, it's called St. Francis's, it was St. Francis of Assisi. But they had to be Catholic to go there. The only Catholics in the area were Irish. So even that was insular. Okay, any more? Well, thank you very much. Um, that was a fascinating talk. And uh, I'd like to give your appreciation to John Horwood. And that was John Hawler at the 2019 East End Conference. We would like to thank John Hawler, Adam Wood, Mark Ripper, Andrew Firth and Carl Kopak for making this and all of the talks from this year's conference available for our listeners. We are a podcast sponsored and hosted by casebook.org, where you will find over 170 roundtable discussions, author interviews, conference presentations, and archive recordings all about the Whitechapel murders and East End crime and history. If you have any questions or comments about any of our podcast releases, feel free to contact us on the Casebook message boards or on Facebook and Twitter by searching for RipperCast.